Okay. Okay. Are we going for the Midwest now? Okay. Let's start the show. <laughs> that might have been German. <laughs> <laughs> it did morph a little. <laughs> okay. And now we dance. Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, this is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay, there's lots of ways to live, and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Howdy, Don. Hey, y'all, I'm Sam. Sam, how are ya? I'm a little tuckered out, Don. Tuckered. Tuckered. Plain tuckered. Not plain. No. Pl plain tuckered. Plain. But it goes without saying. It should be. <laughs> yeah. It should. The expression actually is plum tuckered. I am plum tuckered, but or am I plum tuckered out? I hope you're not plum tuckered out. I'm not out. plum <laughs> tuckered out. I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a bit tuckered. That's the thing. I'm What's all this tuckering? Well, I'm tuckered because I, I, I was helping a fellow member of Alcoholics Anonymous move today. Well, and that's generous. It's one of those things that we do, you know? Yeah, that's that's great. I remember a, a long time ago when uh, when Greg and I were first um, moving out of our, our home, that we for, in the first house, and both of us were sober, and we had too much help show up to uh -huh. move. Have you ever heard of no, such a thing? No, no. And all but two of the people who showed up were from AA. And it was crazy. Uh, it was crazy good. That's great. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so, you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, if I'm able, uh, whenever uh, someone asks for help, now don't y'all go abusing this, okay? Um, whenever somebody asks for help. I can use a little <laughs> hand with a can of pork and beans over here. I, I tend to show up and help however I can. And uh, that in, involved not lifting heavy furniture today because, you know, the back surgery and all that still... Well, I was wondering yeah. about that. Yeah, so this was toting a few boxes and things like that. And how is your back? It hurts, but it's okay. You you know, I don't see it in you in your posture and in walking around like I did three months ago. Well, that's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I'm... I'm I talked with my surgeon recently, and he said that, um, you know, I'm going to have pain that will wax and wane over the next one to two years. Does your surgeon um, always speak in iambic pentameter? Only when he knows I'm going to tell you. I will have pain, and, and it, it will, will wax, wax and wane. <laughs> but only when it rains in the plains of Spain. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a shame. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We have a guest. Let we better get to our <laughs> guest. Introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Judy, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Judy, thanks so much for joining Judy, us. Judy, great. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Otherwise, it would just be the two of us talking over your health, Sam. <laughs> and yeah, that's really not going to help many people. <laughs> Judy, Judy, when did you get sober? Um, I got sober February first, nineteen ninety four. In Wilmington. Well, actually, I got sober in Charlotte, moved to Wilmington, about 30 days sober. And the, the real question, the burning question is, what in the world happened to you that made you take a drastic step of getting sober and coming to AA? 
fell. Um, I have a mom who's in recovery, and she went to AA, and I grew up in AA, and I had a last drunk. My last drunk was Super Bowl Sunday, and I felt like crap, and I had made those phone calls because back then, you know, we pressed redial. We didn't have caller ID or anything. <laughs> was it a big party? That yeah, mm-hmm. it was a big where I worked in a restaurant, and we had a big party, and there was, you know, of course, open bar, all the alcohol you could drink. So, oh, you know, we love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I had a bunch of wine in front of me and a bunch of beer in front of me, and I, you know, I drank tons and tons and tons. And um, anyway, so I called my mom probably two o'clock in the morning. I don't know when it was, but, you know, I just said by then I was crazy and I was like, I'm moving to, I'm going to join the Peace Corps and teach English. You know, that's where I was in my crazy, crazy (laughs) drunk stupor. And the next morning, you know, I felt like shit. Of course, my hangovers were terrible. And um, I called her because I pressed read dial to see who I called. (laughs) And she said, um, you know, do you think you might have a problem with alcohol? And I said, I just, Drink too much when I'm with Brian. That was my boyfriend. It's his fault. Yeah, it was his fault. And as soon as I said that, it was like, yeah. It was like almost like defeat, you know, surrender. Oh, wow. I know. I I got really lucky. I got really lucky because she was like, well, you know, she was in Wilmington, but she had been sponsoring in Charlotte. She had a sponsee that she knew, and she gave me her name. And she said, I'll call her. And I went to my first AA meeting for me the next day, so... That's it. Wow. Never had to take a drink again. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I didn't know how much you wanted me to talk about. No, I'm just kidding. I'm giving you a No. Well, what, I, yeah, what I'm curious about is like, okay. I mean, I guess you had heard of AA from. Oh, well, see, yeah, I'm fortunate that my mom was in AA. Yeah. And so as a young child, I would set up AA meetings. I mean, wow. with her, you know, I mean, I would set up her home group in, in Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. And so I knew all about AA because my mom went to AA. I mean, that was like the one, one of the gifts she gave me was that there is a solution. Well, yeah, except for the fact that, uh, that you, you drank to excess <laughs> continuously. How do you, how did you justify it? I mean, I am assuming that. Are you suggesting that knowledge of AA won't work? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah. yeah, it was funny when I was um, I used to work in the restaurant business, which is great for drunks. And oh yeah, <laughs> I remember this guy who was a, you know drinking cook, and he said, "I'm not an alcoholic because I don't go to meetings." You know, yeah. and I'm like, oh. Um, but I do remember sitting on the bar stool saying, I don't want to be like my mom, you know, but denial is big. Yeah. It was big. I mean, I was, yeah, I drank, I drank all the time. I drank to excess. The crisper was always filled with Miller Lite. I never did not drink. You know what I mean? How long was that? How long were you? I drank, I started drinking when I was probably 14, 13, 14. And, um, drank excessively and alcoholically probably from, I don't know. 15 on. So it took about a year. Were you able to get it regularly at that age? Or was it one of those? Well, you know, and it's funny because there was no alcohol in my house. Oh, yeah. But I have friends who had alcohol. The parents drank. So, I mean, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. What was the story you were telling yourself? If you knew about AA, you knew about alcoholism. Well, it just didn't matter. It just didn't matter. It didn't matter. I mean, you know, it's just... I guess I It's was, not a problem. 
Well, and I was really good at rationalizing because I was good grades. I got into college, even though it took me, you know, years and years and extra years to graduate. <laughs> um, I worked, I showed up for work. So I had workaholism too. So I think that my workaholism helped my denial of my alcoholism because in my head, you know, even though my mom was sober, you know, and I knew what AA was, I didn't know really what an alcoholic was in this, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I still was like, well, I'm paying my bills. I'm, you know, I'm not getting anything wrong like DUI. I was very high bottom drunk. Um, so I never really had those, those bad things happen. So I think for me, the denial was huge. It helped, it helped me be okay with my drinking. Mm -hmm. I get that. So with the drinking, uh, what did it do for you? Well, I remember one time I was completely wasted. And I remember just saying to myself, this is like that Pink Floyd song, Comfortably Numb. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, that's what it was. It was that Comfortably Numb. You know, growing up, I think, you know, we talk about the isms, you know, and how the low self-esteem or the high self-esteem, I got that, you know, when they said, you know, we're like the... Um, egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I got that. I really right. understood that, you know, because I, on the outside, everything looked really put together, but on the inside, it was really, I was jealous of you. I, I wanted what you had. I didn't know anything about who I was. So I was a very big chameleon early on. That early is on. such a common thread for us. I yeah. Yeah. I, I totally have described myself as a chameleon as well. Oh yeah. yeah. Can fit into any situation yeah. for a given amount of time. Yep. Until, you know, the seams start breaking loose and then you leave. Yes. So we exactly. leave before the shit hits the fan. Exactly. <laughs> right. Wait a minute. You do know me. <laughs> I'm reading your mail. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I'm, you know, I'm that garden variety drunk, really. I didn't have any drugs or alcohol, I mean, drugs in my story, really. I tried, like, I just smoked pot a couple times and laughed really, really, really crazy for a long time. And all of these people looked at me and I said, I'm never doing that again. You know, because I was not in control. Uh -huh. But yet yes. I thought when I was drinking, I was in control. So Yeah, I really liked alcohol best yeah. of all. I mean, I did, I did all kinds of drugs. Mm -hmm. But I remember one time, it was on a uh, Saturday and everyone decided that, oh, we're going to do acid tonight. And so they were all... Speaking of Pink Floyd. Yeah, speaking of Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah. So they were all really excited. We were all riding around in the car. It was probably about five guys. Mm -hmm. And this was going to happen. Well, they missed the connection with the guy who was gonna, they were going to buy it from. And uh, it was set up another time an hour later. And they were all bummed out. And I went and got a bottle of Orange Driver, uh, gut rot wine, you know, Mogan David. And I'm drinking that. And then they're getting more and more upset. Then the guy canceled again. Mm -hmm. And then he called and said, it's not going to happen. I couldn't get it. Or, I can't get it to you. Mm -hmm. And they were so bummed out. And I was going, what's your problem? Why don't, come on, let's yeah. get some wine. Right. <laughs> this will be great. Yeah. Yeah. I was having a wonderful time. I hear you. You know, for me, the, the drug thing was, um, I did it when they were offered. And I was in environments where they were offered to me. And every now and then I would you know, buy a little bag just to make sure I wasn't a total mooch. Yeah. Um, but the alcohol was easily available mm -hmm. and it was legal. Yeah. That was a big deal. I wasn't going to like lose my job if I tested positive. I mean, they weren't testing for alcohol. Right. Um, but it was also, you know, you said your, your hangovers were legendary. Oh. Were really yeah. Mine too. Mm -hmm. 
And that was the one thing about alcohol that while I was still not afraid of losing a job for popping a uh, positive on a drug test, mm -hmm. I did drugs. But then when it's like, all right, I've got too much to lose now, so I can't risk it right. by popping positive. Um, so I'll I'm going to drink. Yeah, yeah, I'll deal with the hangovers and won't show up to work because I've got hangovers. Yeah. Legendary hangovers. They were legendary in my <laughs> what mind. Is this? Leg I, I just read this book and this guy was talking about uh, the composer, Jan Sibelius, who was a big drinker and he talked about he drank that night heroically. And I was <laughs> going, what? Okay, the writer here might have a drinking problem because <laughs> yeah. only one of us thinks it's heroic to get rip-roaring right. drunk. <laughs> That's so true. A heroic, legendary hangover. And, and something to aspire <laughs> to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you, you mentioned earlier about, uh, um, I think it was the Super Bowl party, that yeah. you know, the, basically unlimited alcohol unlimited. was present. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's that's the right environment. That's a challenge. We like that. We're down for that. Yeah. Um, I, I totally it's remember that thing. Yeah. So what was it like coming into AA? And you, had, you had had some experience with it. What was it like coming in when you were having a crisis? Well, I was so excited to come in. I mean, I, I was so grateful. I mean, I was scared to death scared to death that first meeting it was in Charlotte and you know and that old that old sponsee met me my mom's sponsee but you know she looked at me she said what do you think you are and I said I think I'm an alcoholic and it was like a thousand pounds were lifted off me because mm. for me it was the solution you know I guess that's where my mom's stuff helped me was I knew that this worked or at least it helped um and so like so many people have that experience you come in and you feel like you're at home and mm -hmm. so, and then, you know, I went to Wilmington 30 days later and got into a home group and worked with everybody there. It was younger people and we did so much service work and I mean, it was great. So my experience early on was like, I mean, I just, I always say God knew I couldn't handle much, you know, cause I, I had to leave Charlotte. Charlotte to me was very dangerous with old playgrounds and playmates. And I kept being told you need to too much temptation. Back. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and plus I was in the restaurant business, which is not a good place to be, you know, for yeah. an alcoholic or trying to recover. Alcoholic. Try, yeah. For, for a brand new. No, alcoholic were great yeah. in the restaurant business. Yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah. there are plenty of folks who are, uh, stable in recovery yeah. Yeah. who work in the restaurant business and bars and all that kind of yeah. stuff too. They're fine yeah. with it. Um, right. it's not something that I'm looking forward to do. Yeah. Not yeah. seeking, but just getting yeah. sober in that environment. It seems That's like almost more challenging. Absolutely. Any job that you have, though, I mean, I'm a painter, and, you know, I always say that painters are, uh, not all painters are alcoholic, but all alcoholics have done a little painting, because it's, it's like, and that's what gives painters a bad name, but I mean, there's, it, whatever your work environment is, there could be people all around you tempting you to drink, and it may be necessary to change. No, I'm in IT, and it's not people who are tempting me to drink. It's people who would drive me to drive drink. Drive me to drink. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what was it, uh, if you can, share something that, uh, a pivotal thing that happened in your early days of mm -hmm. recovery mm -hmm. that was where a window just opened, and all of a sudden you're going, oh, I get what this is about. Well, I think I'm... I'm you know, I had a great sponsor 
to work the steps quickly with me. And when I did my ninth step, and I've shared this at meetings, but this was one of those things that, you know, I knew God was in charge and I knew that this was a spiritual program. But so I wrote down, you know, my sponsor said there were some people who I, I, I knew their name, but I couldn't remember their last name or something to put, but I knew I owed them an amends. So I'm working my ninth, eighth step, writing that list down. And I'm at Wrightsville Beach, walking the loop. I walked it every day down, you know, down there, there's a loop. You walk, and um, and I wrote this girl's name down from college. I stole like twenty bucks from her. She was in a dorm beside me, and um, there she was. Oh and, wow! Yeah, that was a god shot because I had I didn't even know her last name. Her name was Diana. I didn't even know her last name, and I was freaking out because I just saw her walk by me, you know. And I'm like, okay. And so you know, it was like, okay, if I see her again, you know, I'll do something. And so the next day I'm walking and I walked at a different time and there she was. And <laughs> I had to say something. So I did. And she was down visiting from like Connecticut on vacation. And I, I mean, that is so higher power. I mean, that's not, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That solidified for me that there is a God and I'm not it. And that this is a powerful program. And so I made amends to her and I told her, you know, I said, you know, can I come see you and visit you in your little place you're running? And she was down for the week and I did. And she told me, I had my $20 in my hand. And she said, you know what, Judy, my sister's an AA in Raleigh. And I just am so proud of you and don't worry about it. You know what I mean? But that was my experience with one of my very first amends, which I wouldn't have picked that as my first amends, but I just happened to put her name on that list, that eight step list. And you were at the eight step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, the eighth and ninth step are, they were pivotal because when I started working my men's, I can just remember being able to look people in the eye again. Because yeah. I know with my dishonesty that I couldn't, I mean, it looked like looking into the sun, you know? And then when I, I just remember that, that change. <sighs> looking into the sun. Yeah. Yeah. You they, know, it burned. I was it like, burned. I, couldn't, I couldn't. And so the ninth step for me really, I mean, it just like it says in the big book. You know, those promises come true, and they started coming true. And so the, that was the huge. ninth step is, I think, mm -hmm. the gold. Yeah. Because that's where my life changes from. I become completely free mm -hmm. of all the things that I really regret and dislike and, and shameful, uh, right. feel shame about. And I clear those things yeah. up, and then that's real freedom. It is real freedom, and it's also... Like it says in the big book, you know, we're become workers among workers and people among people. Because I think for me, that's where I was always feeling less than or better than, mm -hmm. and that went away. I found also that, uh, and, and, and this is with you know, still having amends left to do, Yeah, I was able to look anyone in the eye. You know, and that's that before we are halfway through. Yeah. The ninth step promises yeah. are read at so many meetings, but not identified as the ninth step promises. Mm -hmm. And we will be amazed before we are halfway through. Halfway through what? Halfway through the ninth step. Mm -hmm. And that was my experience. Of mm -hmm. Once I got those first two or three amends done, it was like, and my willingness was there yeah. to do the rest. Well, it gives when you courage presented. Yes, to do the rest because things... Yeah work out pretty good, and you're like, oh, okay, I can do this, I can do this, you know what I mean? But so it's I, the scariest step. It is, it, it is. It was for me. Yeah. 
well, you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my sponsor was great. She said, because I would have some people there. I'm like, should, does she be on my list? I don't know. And she said, Judy, if you're walking down the street and you see them and you can't make eye contact or you cringe, they need to be on your list. And that was a really <laughs> good way for me to know who belonged mm-hmm. on my list. Because that's what I want to be able to do is be free and mm-hmm. look people in the eye and not cringe at anybody. So it's been great. That's a fantastic way of looking at that. I, I like that measure. Yeah, it's a good one. It yeah. helped me a lot. So are there, are there any amends that were a struggle that didn't go well? Um, or did, went differently than what you expected? Yeah, I mean, there was one where there was a girl that I owed amends to, and I kept writing her letters. She didn't respond. Hmm. And my sponsor was like, you know, Judy, it's you cleaning your side of the street. So... You're done. And to be honest, this was my first year of recovery. And I would say in the last maybe five years, so I'm 24 years sober, because of Facebook, she and I are now friends again. But she lives in a different state. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a guy or a girl in high school. But you know what I mean? Um, but she wanted nothing to do with me. Right. You know, and that's truth. I mean, some people are pretty much like, fuck you. You've, you've hurt me way too much, and this little piece of paper just doesn't cut it, and, and that's okay. Um, and so, anyway, so today I could say, yeah, we're, we could go get a cup of coffee and be fine. That's fantastic. But, that's, that's really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same thing. I had one guy that was like a really pivotal amends, and he did not want anything to do with it. And, in fact, he drove up to me, was at a street light. And uh, he pulled up beside me, and he, I looked over, and it was it was him, and he made this face at me. I'm like, going, oh, come on. <laughs> okay, I'll say a prayer. Everything I want for myself, I want for him. And then you <laughs> gunned the gas. And it's like, rum, but rum. <laughs> so it was not it was not well received. And um, however, I saw him a few years ago, and like you said, it was like it'd been. 20 years yeah. and I saw him at a coffee shop and he said hello and we sat down and talked oh, and awesome. had a great conversation oh, that's fantastic. and we have since connected on Facebook and yeah. you know he'll like some of my posts I like his posts yeah. it's it's incredible to be free this is a guy mm-hmm. that I hated mm-hmm. he did more to me than I did to him mm-hmm. and then I had the hardest time making amends to him because that was what was, okay, what's my part? Putting out of our minds what has been done to us. Yeah, my sponsor would, I'd have to, he he had me write out the amends and then read it to him and he'd say, what about this part here, this paragraph, what are you saying here? You're talking about him. This isn't about him. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't have any uh, amends that were rough, were handled, Mm -hmm. were received in a a poor way. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the the experiences I got was on the other side of things, uh, being someone receiving an amends. Mm -hmm. My father and I had been estranged for 24 years, Mm -hmm. and he approached me. Now, he was not working a program at all. He was not in Alcoholics Anonymous or any type of recovery thing. But But he approached me, and we uh, wound up... Uh, having lunch one day and then a couple weeks later, dinner at his home and sitting out on the front porch, he did his best at making an amends to me without knowing what he was doing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and with the experience that I had mm -hmm. of making amends and having received a few as well, yeah. I, re I realized what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't throw it in his face, which is what I would have done so many years before. That's growth for you. And, yeah. and it was a big deal. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, my dad, um, he stopped seeing me or talking to me when I was 18. I mean, the last time I saw him was 1989. Had dinner with him in New York City. And then he, I mean, that was it. And when I got married, I invited him to my wedding. He never came, never, didn't acknowledge anything. And so I had to work really through that a lot. But that, that was okay. I mean, it helped me to have a better, higher power. Because, you know, my higher power is my Heavenly Father. And so, um, anyway, fast forward. My sister, who's in recovery, you know, she'd always call him every Father's Day. And, and I stopped. And um, this, about four years ago, I guess, she said, I'm going to call Dad. And I said, okay, well, let me know if anything, you know, happens. This is interesting. And he had, what he had done is chose his wife over us and just, just cut off with the family. And that's hard on an 18-year-old daughter. But, you know, um, June had died. So my my sister called me back and said, well, June died. And, you know, because of this program, I called him. And I loved him. And I called him. And he was in Vegas. And I loved him and called him every week for about eight months. And it was the first time since I was 18 that I got a Christmas card, a birthday card. I mean, it was beautiful. And he called me on my birthday. And it wasn't like I expected him to apologize because you know, because I'm sober, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm okay, whatever happened, happened, but I knew that my job, because God and I kind of talked about it, was I need to love him, I need to love him, because he has no one else, and I mean, my sister, I said, Joanne, you need to call him too, and just keep calling him, and so he died within a year, and I had no regrets, and, you know, I hate that, that, you know, he missed out on, we, I, we never saw each other again, and I had said, I want to go see him, but he had fallen hard from like here, New York City, penthouse, Dr. Cornell, blah, 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 to Las Vegas, addicted to gambling, to a really shabby two-bedroom with like maybe four pairs of pants hanging in the closet. And that was really sad to see. But my sister and I both, we, you know, we loved him that last year. And that was all due to Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 Steps. Well, how did you get to the place that you could do that? Because surely you had yeah. resentment. Well, because I did a lot of work around it. I mean, that that stuff doesn't go away. You know, I worked on it with a therapist, you know, outside. Mm -hmm. I worked on um, writing letters to him, but not giving them to him. I worked on praying for him, you know, and the, doing what we have to do with praying that he gets everything that I want. What I was making fun of, and yeah. there, there I could hear it, your voice. Yeah, and, that one. Yeah. Um, you know, and just... Which is hard to do, mm -hmm. but it works even if it's not genuine. It does. It does. <laughs> it's like one of the greatest secrets, I think. We're like, two weeks, baby. Just try it, you know? But, yeah, so, I mean, it was one of those where, and God, you know, God had filled me up enough that I didn't need my earthly father anymore. I mean, that, for me, that's my higher power, and it's it's wow. huge. I mean, but all of this comes from the first day I got sober and getting getting sober so I can have a relationship with God. So I mean, you know, that's that's my recovery is it's about it's about me and God and, and helping another alcoholic. I mean, and those are the those are the benefits that we get from it is like having a relationship with your dad, even if it's for six months or nine months or 
or whatever you got. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's because we, we get rid of that pride and ego and say, I love you. Even when... I, I had a terrible relationship with my dad. I was very angry at him. I mean, it was good, but it was the relationship was good. And on the surface, it was, it was good. But I actually was internally very angry at him. Yeah. And really didn't have much to do with him. Yeah, wouldn't call or talk to him and just show up occasionally. And I did all the things that you said. I was in therapy and worked with that, uh, issues with him in therapy and uh, got to a place of some acceptance, but I was still very angry and resentful. Okay. And he was on my amends list and I couldn't, couldn't do it. And I decided to do the thing in the book, uh, in one of the stories is where it says pray. Actually, I heard someone in a meeting share that he had prayed for his father for two weeks, mm -hmm. asking for everything that he wanted for himself, mm -hmm. for him. And I decided to try it. And I did it and I started out incredibly angry. It was like, God, I can't handle him. You take him. And I actually did a visualization where I would <clears throat> and picture him and send him out over the ocean because the ocean was what I, it's connection with higher power for me. Mm -hmm. And that visualization is really strong for me. So I was giving him to God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you take him. I can't deal with him, that S-O-B. Yeah. And I started out that way. And two weeks later, I was doing it and... I envisioned him, and then my mother appeared beside him, and then they were both embraced. And I didn't, I didn't do that. I know, right? <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I mean, that's not where I started. Right. Yeah. And it was that anger I had for him was removed. That's a it was, it was amazing. That is amazing. But. Um, you know, it wasn't I. It was the prayer, and it was doing it. But I also did all that other work, yeah. and I did a men's work, and and all the other things. However, that was the culmination that worked, and then I was able to make amends to him. And towards the end of his life, I was able to be there and care for him. Yeah. And I actually enjoyed my time with him the last um, last four years. That and I couldn't have. I wouldn't have been there. Oh no. It's nice not to have regret. Yeah. That's a gift from it, too, from the past. It's like, well, you're free still. You're not To holding, be free. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have anything for that. Y'all have really got me, my, me stirred up right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my father estranged me, uh, disowned me mm -hmm. when I was 16 because I'm gay. Mm -hmm. And many times over the years, before I got sober, I would call him on Father's Day or birthday or whatever, uh, and would be rebuffed. Mm -hmm. And then I did some, I did work around this before I got sober and in sobriety as well. Mm -hmm. And I tried one or two times maybe in sobriety as well and was, but was rebuffed. Mm -hmm. And that's when I let go. That's when I said, all right, I've, I'm done. It wasn't you know, I'm done and, and I'm pissed off that I'm, I'm done. Right. It was a resignation. It was an acceptance. It was a, um, a surrender. Yeah. Uh, I'm done. 
trying to make this happen. And then several years later is when he contacted me and said, it's been a long time. It was an email. Mm -hmm. And it was very simply, it's been a long time. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. And we talked. We met at that restaurant and, and had lunch. And then two weeks later, we had dinner at his home that he and his wife had fixed. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks later, he died unexpectedly. I'm telling you, it's amazing how that happens. Yeah, it really is. Thank God you, you were willing. See, that's where I think for us as re in recovery, we, we become willing to surrender to, okay, well, yeah, I'll come talk to you instead of, yeah. You know, or mm -hmm. that, you know that we don't have that, that righteous indignation. Yes, we don't. We didn't. We didn't have that because of our work around yes. it. That you were able to be with him. My mom, same thing. I worked with my mom. I worked on my mom's stuff and worked on my mom's stuff. And within, I would say, six months after that, she died suddenly too. And I found her dead in her bed. Oh wow! And I and That's I just want to say that. Drinking was not even the thought that went by my head, you know, but I had worked on all that stuff and we had gotten to a place of good and she died. And my therapist who I'd been working with, cause that was the same thing. She said, you don't know how many people sit across the couch from me. And this happens where you worked on your stuff. You have made reconciliation and they, they pass. Wow. And I'm like, well, it happened to me, you know, and it happened <laughs> well, to you, evidently. Well, and the amazing thing, the, the, the wonderful thing here is that my father died and I didn't experience regret mm. out of that. Now, there was a sense of loss when it was a loss of opportunity. Yeah, that's how I felt. Loss, like sadness of, wow, things could have been so much. There could have been more to our relationship right. if he hadn't whatever, you know. Or, or, or if he hadn't died. I mean, oh, what, what I did, we, yes. we reconciled what could yeah. have come after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it wasn't a regret of that, that would have been really a crushing thing yeah. it would had have I rebuffed him. Right. And then the guilt you would have felt. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the reasons that we do this work mm -hmm. is because if I am living in the... If I'm living aligned with my higher power, mm -hmm. living in the way that I've learned in this program, mm -hmm. the choices that I'm going to make, for the most part, I'm mm -hmm. not going to do this perfectly, right. but for the most part, are going to line me up so that I'm not going to be regretting things. Yeah. And regret, among other things, is the type of thing that would send us out to drink. Mm -hmm. Judy, so what... What are you doing now? So you've been sober 24 years. Mm -hmm. What is your recovery life like now that puts you in a position so that you can handle these dev devastating things like this that get thrown at us just because we're sober? Life's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But you said you didn't have any desire to drink. That's not where you turn. What are you doing? How are you doing that? Well, I mean, you know, my sobriety today is really strong um, because I work the steps still. I sponsor people and I have a home group. I mean, I do the same thing I did when I got sober. Um, and my relationship with my higher power is just, you know, really, really strong. I mean, that's like the gift 
for me. For those in the back row, would you repeat what you just said? <laughs> the ones that leave early and stay late or leave late. Whatever. Fringe dwellers. <laughs> the fringe dwellers. Yeah. You do today, mm -hmm. 24 years later, mm -hmm. what or you more. did. Or more. More. What you did <laughs> in early recovery. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in fact, I, you know, I was I was talking to Don about when he asked me to say that. I was like, yeah, well, we're going to go see this guy named Chris Raymer. So I'm going to put a plug for Chris Raymer. <laughs> who is a phenomenal man in um, recovery in Texas who does big book, huge big book, no whiny kind of meetings, big book that, you know, we don't talk about. No discussion meetings. No discussion meetings. <laughs> so I don't go to discussion meetings anymore. And, and literally that has happened in the last year where I started listening to him and Katie Parker and Mike Houston and all these great sober people who have a really deep, desire to help another alcoholic work the steps as quickly as possible to have a spiritual connection with their higher power. And that means big book, big book, big book and sponsor, 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 and no junior therapy. That So no junior therapy. Yeah. Like no junior therapy sessions. What, like the oh, oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Like we're not, you know. Yeah, we're not therapists. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and group discussion can really go discussion, off, right. off topic and off right. solution. And that's why we started my new, our, our new meeting the, in the book, mm -hmm. Women's Big Book Study. So Which I was, meets when? It meets Tuesday night at the little house where Bethel meets. Oh. Um, Tuesday night at 6.30. So, you know, we, we do the, the big book. We read the big book. We read the first 164 pages. That's it. Um, and that's here in Greensboro. Right. North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so, you know, saying all that, I, I mean, I think that, and I've said this to some of my sponsees just recently, I also have people meet at my house, my sponsees, and do a big book study, um, is getting out of self. It's all about, if, if the more I'm in the program, the more I'm working the steps, the more I'm talking to my higher power, the less the outside crap bothers me. That is the key for this alcoholic. That's it. Uh, for me. And, and the key thing there is that there's not less outside crap. Right. It's still there. Right. It's just our reaction to it. Exactly. Is because <laughs> Right. Well, it's because I have this bigger priority, which is my priority is to help another alcoholic surprise, you know, stay sober, stick my hand out, get out of self, go to a meeting. You know, all that stuff minimizes the outside minutia. Mm -hmm. That's and so that's helped me, you know, kind of stay more sane and balanced and all that good stuff. So I mean, it works. Sounds like you're saying that there might be a solution in the book. <laughs> yeah, really. So. Anything that you have a problem with, there is a solution in the book to it. So, I mean, it's in black and white. I mean, we are self-centered and selfish to the core. That is the root of our trouble. Well, this has worked for numerous, countless people. Millions. For how many years now? Right. I'm, cha I'm changing your name from Judy to Frosty. So we could sing thumpity thump 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 thump. thump. <laughs> Look at Frosty go. Cue oh. <laughs> yeah, the sound effects. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> good one. Yeah. No, I mean it's true though. Well, it's yeah. true. It's the it. That's where the program is. It's a textbook. It is. It's a textbook. It is. That's a how. That means it's a how-to book. Well, and you know one yeah. of the things that I loved in a uh, book study that I did uh, in early recovery was I did it was done with workbooks yeah. that followed the uh, the uh, the big book right. and it defined what a text is and it simply said that a text is something 
that builds on, it presents an idea, and then the next idea that's presented is built off of the first one. Right. And so it's a continuing to build. It's not that you just open the book and start reading yeah. somewhere, yeah. anywhere, in any random place. You start at the beginning and you build working through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Like algebra. <laughs> Ew. Ew. <laughs> I'm not Which I, I did not do well. They like algebra. Yeah. But uh, I, algebra, I, <laughs> I don't know why I'm sure. <laughs> algebra made Don drink. Uh, uh, al algebra, after, after six weeks of algebra, I had no idea what was going on anymore. And I'll, so I decided I would just turn in a blank sheet of paper and take a zero in this class. This is in high school. Mm -hmm. and, and use the time productively as a drawing session because I'm an artist and so I got a sketchbook dedicated to my algebra class and sat in there and drew every day for an hour and I think the time was spent more productively yeah. but what actually happened was ah, I now didn't, we get some truth I didn't understand yeah. what was going on at the beginning and I didn't really grasp it and we moved ahead and I was lost and so it didn't work and like if I had when you described making amends, there was somebody, an ex-girlfriend that showed up suddenly from out of town, and I was sober for three weeks, four weeks, and I was thinking, oh, I've heard about amends, and I've got to make amends to her. I need to make amends. My, my sponsor was out of town, and I was wondering, well, but this is a sign from God. I need to make amends. <laughs> and I called um, someone else th that I knew in AA and described described the thing and he had a lot lot of sobriety and he was going don i don't think you're on amends yet it's it's okay you will have the opportunity to do it later if you don't do it right now and you know once you just stick with your sponsor and stay with steps one two and three which is where i was oh, come on now you know the best amends are the ones that are prefaced with i'm not on this step yet but <laughs> Why? <laughs> and how many times have you heard stories of someone making amends and then finding that they need to go back and do it for real yeah. later because they were too early and they Provided really did they understand. get the chance to do it again because right. there are cases that I've heard people talk, share about how they did it too early and made ruined a total mess of, yes, ruined the opportunity. Yeah. 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 That's why we listen to our sponsor. Listen to your sponsor, yeah. How many sponsees do you have? Uh, seven. Wow. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's a community. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Well, that, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Some are low, low maintenance. Some are right. Maintenance. The newest one's seven months. Ago. Right. I've got, a, well, really, I've got four. But the community of my sponsees, sponsees, mm -hmm. are, I'm also involved with. Yeah. And yeah. we meet. For meals and meet at meetings and and all and that community I is so is good. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I try to do that too with my sponsor and my sponsees, sponsees too, and make like a do a we do mm -hmm. a once a month big book study in my house and then we do some dinners and stuff too. But I think it's so important for the fellowship part, you know. But because there's a lot of isolation that I mean, I'm just speaking for women. I don't know how men are, but I mean, we're really good isolators. So mm -hmm. we, you know, it's oh. like, come on, let's go, come <laughs> uh, on, same, join yeah. party, yeah. you know, and just help them. My disease tells me yeah. I'd be better off sitting at home doing yeah. a little something by myself. 
oh, yeah. watching some TV or Mike H drawing or something like right. that instead of going to the meeting and that, and yeah. it's always wrong. Yeah, I've got time to do that later. Yeah, we have that little tickle in our head that does that. Yeah. Well, I, I miss seeing you at meetings. When I, when I early in my sobriety, we went to a lot of meetings together. I, I, I remember seeing it, but we don't in run. In Wilmington or here? I well, it, I thought you were in Wilmington. Our connection was because I had gone to a meeting in Wilmington. Okay. Maybe we saw each other at the, at that meeting, at, but you were in Greensboro. Okay. Okay. And I was visiting Wilmington, okay. and it was one of my first times um, going to the beach sober. Oh. And so I was seeking out meetings and yeah. had gone to a meeting there, and it was a big deal. It was very yeah. uh, hard to do, and it was very important. It was really pivotal. Yeah. And then came back in town and then saw you at meetings here. So we had yeah. that connect. That's where our connection was. Yeah, because cool. yeah, I used to go to 8 o'clock and then... You know, when you have kids, it's, yeah. it just changes. Mm -hmm. so I like the earlier 6, 630 meetings. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us here at the Boyle Dow. Thanks for so having me. So glad you joined yeah. us. Stick around. Yeah. Okay. Really? Watch out for that. Watch out! Woo-hoo! Duck! Woo-hoo! It's time for our old-timers question. Who you calling an old-timer? You! That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. It's one day at a time. One day at a time. No matter how long you've been sober, it's one day at a time. You're repeating yourself, Grandpa. One day. <laughs> I'll quit. Needless to say. <laughs> Sonny. If you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. Uh, we do have a question. Hooray! And our question is from Janet from Accounting and the Finger Lakes. <laughs> After you've been sober for a number of years, why do you still need a sponsor? Ooh. Ooh. Good question. After you've been sober for a number of years, why do you still need a sponsor? Why do you still need to go to meetings? Why do you need to keep doing this AA thing? Because you don't graduate. Mm -hmm. And specifically with a sponsor, here's my thinking with sponsors. I have a self-image, and I still, at my age, have a full head of luxurious hair. But I'm told I have a ball spot. I can't see it. And maybe it's a good idea for me to understand reality to listen to other people. And that's what my sponsor's for. Because I'm stuck in my own head, with my own thinking, with my problems. They're all colored by all my emotions. And if I talk to my sponsor, he, and a, he is a disinterested, not disinterested, dispassionate party. Sometimes he's disinterested, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> he's dispassionate. He's not invested emotionally in all my stuff. And so he can see what is really going on with me in a way that I can't because I'm blind to it. I'm, and you know, I don't care how long I've been sober. That's always the case. Uh, I can't see my own thinking sometimes. Now, one thing that happens, I will say, the longer you've been sober is I have been angry or 
afraid or something like that. Well, I need to call my sponsor and reach, get get out the phone. And as I'm dialing the number, it's like I know what he's going to say. I'm going, oh, I see what's going on. Oh, now I understand. Just from the act of doing that, because of it enabled me to look at myself in a different way. Still carry through, call my sponsor, talk to him. <laughs> but it that's what it's for. And that's the reason to continue to have a sponsor. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. What say you, Judy? Uh, I'd say ditto. <laughs> I just think, you know, uh, we don't graduate and we're not perfect. So, I mean, I need somebody else to kind of guide me on some stuff because, I mean, you know, stuff comes up and that person knows me best. That I guess that's the one thing I could say about the sponsor. If you've been honest with the sponsor and talked to a sponsor and had the same sponsor for a while, they can call you on your BS because mm. they can spot it quicker than we can sometimes. So. You know, or they know what maybe another situation that bothered me. Well, this looks like the pattern that you're, you know, there's always a pattern in my disease. So, I mean, that that would be the one thing that she's willing. And I just think it's, I think it just goes to show we, we need each other. We, it's not, we're not a one-man show. We got to, you know, we always have to keep being with people that are with us. You know what I mean? Otherwise, yeah, it's just me helping me. Yeah, That's not it. That. That's not good. That's not healthy. Now, my experience with this, uh, I have to work this program someone else's way. Uh, I mm -hmm. and to to talk about you know my sponsor knows me best. Uh, for that to happen, I have to work the steps with a sponsor. Right. Uh, I my experience, I I worked the steps with my first sponsor and then had a few other sponsors and did not work the steps with them. And, and bad ideas sounded good, and I did stuff, and I started over. Uh, and since then, I have worked the steps with each subsequent sponsor. In doing that, they get to know me. I get to know them. They get to see all of that. And I don't get that chance to fool myself by having that limited perspective. I can't see my bald spot. Mm -hmm. um, and they can. And one of the things that comes in play on that is... Uh, to, to restate what's been stated, though, that disinterested, not disinterested, dispassionate, whatever third party that is not emotionally invested in what's going on with me like I am. Right. More objective. That I can tell anything and everything to. Mm -hmm. And that is without fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. um, that's a huge thing. And that is a thing that doesn't come naturally to people. Right. No. But wow, it's we've got it. For men, if I, I don't know about women, you tell me, Judy, but it's like completely unnatural mm -hmm. to ask somebody to be your sponsor because for me, I felt like, oh, God, this is like asking a Are guy you know? out on a date. Hey, now, wait a minute. I do that all the time. Uh, <laughs> well, there's a little sugar in it. That was good. That was good. Um, but it, but it is that thing of, of yeah, yeah, I mean, it was really tough asking the first guy to be my sponsor, and, and he said no. And, and <laughs> also, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, it's also just that, that it's always like asking somebody out on a date. It is, yeah. But then it's also that weirdness of, oh, we just met. Here, let me tell you all yeah. about me. Right, yeah. <laughs> No, really, all the warts and everything. I'm going to show you everything. Yeah. 
And, you know, that may not happen in the first meeting, but it happens pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's the willingness that we get when we're desperate. Yeah. So. How do you choose a sponsor? I've always been told you want what they have. Yeah. So I listen to them in meetings and pray about it and ask. I don't know. I mean, I've had my share of, I've had my share of sponsors. I mean, I've had sponsors like for years though, you know, like seven mm -hmm. years, 10 years, you know, and moves, things like that. But yeah, I, it's, I it's think, hard to get another one. Yeah. But I always think God's in charge of that one. I always say to people, pray, just pray to ask God to give you a sponsor and direct you. What about when you have long-term sobriety? Have you uh, getting a sponsor at that point? Yeah, I know. I mean, my sponsor has less time than me. But, okay. You know, but I've known her, and she was this, it's really kind of weird. I had a sponsor. I had Carol. She was my sponsor. Then I had Robin, and then I had Carol again because I changed, mm -hmm. and my needs and stuff changed. My meetings changed, and then I got back to Carol. So, uh, you know, it's just... I think it's a fantastic thing to point out there that, uh, you know, there, there are old timers who have sponsors mm -hmm. who have less time than, than the old timer. Yeah. And that is... It's the, one day at a time. It, it really isn't. Uh, it really isn't. But it really is a, a testament to that thing of, of time is not a tool. Yeah. You know, yeah. someone who's been sober for, for 30 years doesn't necessarily have what I want. Right. And someone who's been sober for two might. Right. Yeah, and I, I don't think, see, I'm also where I've changed my mind about things is I don't think that you should put yourself in a box of you have to have a year to sponsor. I, I you know, I mean, it's like work the steps, work them quickly and sponsor someone because that is going to help both you and that sponsee, you know, I mean, so there's all kinds of different situations. I think, you know, because there's women who sometimes it boils down to time frames. Like, well, she works and I don't, so I never talk to her, so that doesn't work. You know, or right, yeah. I'm in this stage of life where I'm having kids and this woman is retired. I need someone who has kids, you know? You do, yeah. I just think, I think mm -hmm. that it, it varies. So there are, re there are reasons to change and, and it's possible to do it. And it doesn't necessarily need to be somebody who's got more sobriety than Correct. Her. That's what mm -hmm. I'm Bottom line. hearing. Yeah. I agree. And sponsorship is not forever somebody's gonna die so all sponsors are temporary yeah i like <laughs> yeah. that you're right and don't put them on a pedestal absolutely yeah. well we all die soon bye don <laughs> wow <laughs> you're the one who brought it down put off. you're the one who brought I it down with levity <laughs> <laughs> well i feel like i'm but I feel like it's almost over here. We better wrap up this meeting. Judy, th thanks for being here. At least he's going to die sober. Right. <laughs> Where's that pesky owl? <laughs> thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.